2: All right, America, welcome to Greg Kelly Reports. I'm John Tobacco filling in for Greg tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about the big liar. No, not the big lie. That's the one that Liz Cheney and friends want to keep propagandizing on America. The big liar. The liar in chief, shall we say. Yes, the current part-time resident of the White House. Joe Biden. I am so confused as to why no one's calling out the current resident as it becomes more and more clear what he really is. This man has been straight up lying to America for 40 years. Why hasn't anybody connected all the dots in one concise argument? Now, years ago, maybe we had that Uncle Joe charisma going for him to cover it up. But when you look at it, as the veneer starts to wear off, not only the teeth, but the whole guy, you start to realize, you know, this guy's just been lying his way through politics all the while and all the time on the government dime. The whole time. And now he's just a withering shell of his old self. And I think it's time someone called him out for what he really is. And I think that person to call him out is me. So here we go. Now... The man himself, Greg Kelly, and the crack staff right here at Greg Kelly Reports have covered all of these stories at one time or another. But to make things clear, I want you, America, to take a good look. And as you listen to President Biden say he knew nothing about the Trump raid, keep this segment in mind. Now, how far does the malevolent behavior go back? How long has Joe Biden been making up stories and telling lies to America? Let's jump in Marty McFly's Wayback Machine and go all the way back to 1987. Old Joe back then was talking about what a great student he was. Joe Biden, 1987. Go. Go.
3: What law school did you attend and where did you place in that class? And the other question oh, is yes. could you quickly I, I think we I, I think I probably
0: have right. a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. No, I no, went no. to law school on a full academic scholarship. The only one in my in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. In the first year in law school, I decided I didn't want to be in law school and ended up in the bottom two-thirds of my class, and then decided I wanted to stay, went back to law school, and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I won the international moot court competition. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only need 123 credits, and I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like,
2: Frank. the International Boot Corps Champion. Full scholarship. Wow, this sounds really good. Turns out, was all a lie. He wasn't the top of his class, or any class for that matter. He was actually just scraping the bottom of the barrel. Don't believe me? Listen.
0: Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class, that he does not have three degrees from college, and that he was not named outstanding political science student in college. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the
4: bottom of his class, and won only one degree, not three. Joe Biden ranked 76th in a class of 85 at the University of Syracuse Law School. I mean, this guy
3: comes off this whole thing as a flyweight. Now Biden says Newsweek is right. His memory had failed him. (laughs)
2: <laughs> My memory failed me. I just invented a whole bunch of things. I don't know how I remember them, but they never happened. Uh, all right, but maybe that one was a fib. Let's move up till 2020. Big year. Big year for lying to America. And uh, first, Joe talked about all the hard time he did in the fight for apartheid. This day, 30 years
0: ago, Nelson Mandela walked out of prison and entered into discussions about apartheid. I had the great honor of meeting him. I had the great honor of being arrested with our U.N. ambassador on the streets of Soweto trying to get to see him on Robbins Island. I came back from South Africa trying to see Nelson Mandela and getting arrested for trying to see him on Robbins Island. He was in prison.
2: Uh, Another lie. Maybe that wasn't a fit. Maybe that was a white lie. He didn't get arrested with Nelson Mandela. In fact, he didn't even see him. Um, But... uh... You know, he actually kind of admits he was lying through his teeth just a couple of weeks later.
0: I okay. said arrested. I meant I was not able to, I was not able to move. Cops, upper counters would not let me go with them, made me stay where I was. I guess I, I wasn't arrested. I was stopped. I was not able to move where I wanted to go.
2: All right, I wasn't arrested. I They made me stay in one place in my hotel. So I, maybe... But uh, 2020, it was heating up. The race where Trump was on fire, so he had to go into lying overdrive to get elected. And this one was no fib, no white lie. This was a whopper.
0: There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. They have said that this is has all the four five former heads of the CIA. Both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except him. his and his good friend Rudy Giuliani.
5: You mean the laptop is now yeah, another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? That's got exactly, what, is this that's where exactly you're what this going? exactly what this is told. where he's going. The laptop yeah, right. is Russia,
4: yeah. gentlemen, Russia. I want to stay on the issue of race. He-
2: <laughs> well. As we all know now, despite the efforts of Twitter and other social media companies, uh, this was a total lie. And um, none other than the New York Times, the Washington Post, and most recently Mark Zuckerberg confirmed it when they told us that they were censoring the laptop story all along.
5: There was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story the neo yeah we had that too yeah so you guys censored that as well so we took a different path than twitter um i mean basically the background here is the fbi i think basically came to us uh, some some folks on our team it was like hey um just so you know like you should be on high alert there was the we we thought that there was a lot of russian propaganda in the 2016 election we have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant.
2: Why all these lies? Why why why? And when will America finally get it? You know, if you haven't guessed it, I'm Italian. In the Italian culture, they have a uh, term called like a for a phony or a fraud. They call it a fugace. And this guy's whole story is literally a fugaes. But this last one. This last lie takes the cake. Now, remember, the White House and the administration continue to say that Biden is perfectly mentally sound. So if he's not losing it, then I guess at this point he just can't help lying. It's in his fabric. It's Joe Robinette Biden. But if none of these lies are enough to make you sick to your stomach, take a look at old Joe talking to the young men and women of the U.S. Naval Academy.
0: As I was told, the class of 72 is here. I was appointed to the academy in 1965 by a senator who I was running against in 1972. <laughs> Never planned it that way. I was, wasn't old enough to be sworn in. I was only 29 years old when I was running. I didn't come to the academy because I wanted to be a football star. And you had a guy named Starback and Bellino here. So I went to Delaware.
2: <laughs> Let's not even get into his football skills, but uh, this is not a fib, a white lie, a whopper. This is downright despicable, if you ask me. He's talking to these kids who are going off to put their lives on the line to protect America, and he's just lying to their faces. And to do that to our future military leaders, it's really... Kind of sick. Sad, in fact. But let's debunk this last one just for fun, because why not? Number one, it was never mentioned in his book. Number two, if he was enlisted in 1965, he (laughs) had to serve in Vietnam. And number three, he actually graduated law school in 1968. And number four, he'd be considered unfit due to his childhood asthma. So, uh, Joe was never commissioned to the Naval Academy. But why do I go into this? Why all this? The biggest lie, the last but not least, the lie of all lies, knocking the Liz Cheney big lie off its pedestal as the big lie, claiming the number one spot this week as the new big lie, when asked if he knew about the raid on former President Trump's home and efficient expedition in my opinion on his probable future opponent, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, did it again.
5: How much advance notice
0: did you have of the FBI's plan to search Mar-a-Lago? I
2: didn't have any advance notice. None. Zero. Not one single bit. Thank you. None. No idea. Zero. Turns out he did. Recent reporting shows the Biden administration was cooperating with the DOJ and the National Archives on this investigation The whole time, take a look at this story from our friends at Just the News. Biden White House facilitated DOJ's criminal probe against Trump, scuttled privilege privilege claims, and I just keep wondering, why do they keep lying? Why is it all a big secret? Maybe, Maybe it's because... Maybe it's because between the Russia probe and the Mueller report and impeachment one, impeachment two, Donald Trump is undefeated. And these people just don't want Americans to know the truth. They want us to sit there and be lied to by the president, by Dr. Fauci, by the CDC. And now the same people who brought you all the other probes are lying about Trump again. They just think we're too dumb to see it. Hey, Joe. Joe. Hey, Merrick Garland, guess what? We ain't dumb. We see it, and this time we ain't buying it. The new big lie that Joe Biden knew nothing about the raid? Yeah, sure, Joe. He reminds me of one of my favorite shows from when I was a kid. Of all my Hogan's Heroes fans out there. There was a character called Sergeant Schultz, and uh, his famous saying was, I know nothing. I see nothing. And, uh, that's what Joe Biden wants us to keep believing. But uh, the man who sees it all when it comes to the legal side joins us right now to discuss the release of this 38-page redacted affidavit. His attorney from the F&G Legal Group, Lou Gelamino. Lou, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. This thing is, I'm going through it here. It took me about 40 seconds to read it because every single thing I see in this whole paper is all black. Um, What are the missing links here? How common is it to have a document with this much black? I mean, how many cartridges of ink did I have to go through just to redact one of these suckers?
3: Well, John, thanks for having me. First, after hearing your monologue, I think it's time to unburden myself and tell America that I really did fail biology sophomore year while we were at
2: that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now that's out there in case you run for president. But, uh, Lou, what's up with all these redactions? It, it, it's it's unbelievable.
3: I and my partner, Mark Fonti, as you know, we're criminal defense attorneys. That's what we do. We've probably handled hundreds of cases uh, where it concerns affidavits and search warrants. And unfortunately, John, this is very common. The redacted affidavit, we always ask for the affidavit, and we get a redaction that is illegible and you can never read. So unfortunately, this is very common. What scares me, though is this is very typical in a criminal case, which means to me is they got a full-blown criminal proceeding against the former president of the United States for something, for having documents in his house, supposedly having documents in his house, where he has the power to declassify each and every one of those documents. So it's a witch hunt. We all know it's a witch hunt. Anybody that's reasonable and looks into things in a non-partisan way realizes that this is a witch hunt.
2: So... Uh... Trump came out firing on all cylinders. I don't know if you saw it yet, but he's out with a statement. Uh, this statement just came out uh, a couple hours ago. Uh, <laughs> take a look. Uh, it's on the Save America letterhead there. and <laughs> It says, Hello. make America great again. Uh, Lou, one of the things you said there was that this isn't all that uncommon. So uh, are we going like um, the the judge did say that he thought there was so much historical value to this that the people had a right to know what's happening here. Um, From what I could tell, I don't know anything what's happening at all from this. I don't feel like it's transparent. John, it's
3: clear to me and any other criminal defense attorney that the judge did a CYA. He just covered his ass, right, by going out there and saying or giving all the perfect rhetoric and saying, hey, This is unprecedented. We have to give the uh, DOJ a chance to open up the affidavit. All he did was protect himself and blow smoke uh, up every American to every American by allowing this laughable document that that's illegible. It really is. He didn't do anything. He said all the right things. But at the end of the day, accomplished absolutely nothing. There is no transparency here whatsoever. The only thing that was transparent. uh, Trump did
2: come. Trump did come out and uh, respond to the affidavit release earlier in the day. um, And he said this. The affidavit is heavily redacted. Nothing mentioned on nuclear, a total public relations subterfuge by the FBI DOJ or our close working relationship regarding document turnover. We gave them much. Judge Bruce Reinhart should never allow the, break in, uh, the break-in the of my home. He recused himself two months ago from one of my cases based on his animosity and hatred of your favorite president, me. What changed? Why hasn't he recused himself on this case? Obama must be very proud of him right now. That's a lot to unpack there, Lou. What do you think?
3: Very concerning how this judge, this magistrate, recused himself from a previous Donald Trump probe and decided that, oh, okay, on this probe, I don't have the conflict of interest anymore. So I'm going to sign that document is really concerning. It's actually a big ethics violation. And that's something that should be uh, researched and investigated at the DOJ. Definitely. Um, As far as the investigation goes. John, The president is so right. This was a nothing but a partisan hit job. He knows it. We know it. The rest of America know it. You know who doesn't understand it? The 46 percent of America that continues to buy into Joe Biden's lies year after year, decade after decade, they hear lie after lie, and 46% of America is going to vote for him anyway. And I'm saddened, because some of those people are our friends, John. That's true. And I don't know why they would continue to vote for people like this in office.
2: Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, Lou, but... uh... When it comes to this legal stuff, you always make sense to me. Thank you very much. He's my co-host on uh, Wise Guys right here every Saturday night and uh, one of the best attorneys around over at uh, and Gelamino. Lou, thank you so much.
3: Thank you, John. Thanks for having us.
2: All right. A somber day today in the United States, remembering the 13 lives that were lost in the Kabul airport bombing. Uh, what did the president do to commemorate it? Or what didn't he do is the better question. We'll fill you in.
1: Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: One year ago today, we watched with our very eyes the chaos that ensued at Kabul Airport. Thirteen lives were lost one year ago today. Islamic State terrorists killed 13 U.S. service members. Yes, 13 lives that should still be here with us today, but they aren't. You know why? Because of one man. A man who's incompetent at managing a successful withdrawal. A man who only knows how to point fingers and not take the blame. And a man who is clearly incapable of apologizing for any wrong that he's committed. What has our president done today to commemorate this one year for the families, the tragedy? Let's bring in Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe to talk all about it. Congressman, thanks for joining us today. I know you're a former army. Thank you for your service. Uh, It sure is interesting to me how one year later and no one has taken any responsibility. No one's been held accountable for for any of this.
5: Well, and they certainly don't want any attention drawn to the Afghanistan withdrawal because it was a complete debacle and a complete failure on the part of the Biden administration. As we sit here talking today, uh, there are still Americans trapped behind enemy lines in Afghanistan, and this administration is doing nothing to get them out. When we have hearings with Secretary Blinken and we talk to him, we get there's 300, there's 500, there's 1,000. They don't even really know that the Americans that are still stuck there. And then we have our allies that have been stuck behind enemy lines. We don't have communications there because we pulled our assets out. Uh, it's, it's just very frustrating as a, a person who served in Iraq and served in the military to see such a horrible display of leadership on the world stage that was our our Afghanistan withdrawal.
2: You know, uh, earlier today, Biden was getting off uh, Marine One when he was asked about his communication with the parents of the 13 uh, killed servicemen and women. Take a listen to his response. Mr.
1: President, have you spoken to any of the family members of the 13 soldiers who died last year in Afghanistan?
2: Not today, but I have spoken in the past. This is just not enough. Uh, as I mentioned, and you served in the, in the U.S. military. Um, you were out there. Um, like many of these folks, they sign up to put a target on their back to go across the globe and make sure the liberties and freedoms that were guaranteed here are protected. How does this hit home for you?
5: Well, it's just a complete disrespect to the service. And a lot of those family members don't want to talk to Joe Biden because they know that Joe Biden was the reason why their child died in combat, a completely preventable death. Um, The person, that the the bomber was released from Bagram. All the military advisors said not to relinquish Bagram Air Force Base. We should have used that for our evacuations. They had more airspace, they had more runways, so on and so forth. And it was all because of the decisions that Joe Biden made, the decisions that his administration made, that led to the deaths of those 13 service members and over 200 Afghans along with $83 billion worth of our military equipment that was paid for by our tax dollars. And I told Secretary Blinken in a hearing that his legacy was going to be Taliban soldiers hoisting their flag, wearing our military gear, hoist, holding our weapons, and that was going to be his legacy.
2: With all the billions we're sending over to Ukraine, it would have been nice to have a- a little stockpile that 83 billion. We could have sent some of that over maybe to Ukraine. But, uh, you know, um, but just from your perspective as as a former member of the military, I know you're always a member of the military at heart. You're a vet. Um, do you think that it's really goes all the way to the top or some of this kind of woke military stuff contributed to how poorly the plan was to get out?
5: I think it went all the way to the top. Uh, Secretary Blinken, the Secretary of the State, Department of State, was the one supposedly in charge of the withdrawal, which is interesting because it's a military operation. So DOD points the finger at the Department of State, and Department of State points the finger at... Uh, DOD, and then Joe Biden just stands back like he doesn't know what's going on, which he probably doesn't know what's going on, but he's the commander-in-chief and ultimately responsible for the decisions or lack of decisions that were made in Afghanistan, a complete failure. And I, and I will submit to you this. When the Republicans take the majority in November and get the gavels in January, there will be an account that will be made of the decisions that were made, and the Republicans will hold accountable those people in DOD and the, secret- and the Department of State that made those decisions that led to those deaths.
2: Well, let's hope the uh, red wave comes our way, and there show will be a lot of investigations when Republicans have the gavel. Uh, Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe, thank you so much. Thank you. All righty. Coming up, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas takes aim at Texas Governor Greg Abbott over the chaos at the southern border. We'll tell you what he said when Greg Kelly Reports returns. They won't
0: give you the facts. They don't tell the truth. Their bias is incredible. Now millions are turning to Eric Bowling, the balance to get the real
2: story. Watch him on Newsmax. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas takes aim at Texas Governor Greg Abbott over the border crisis. Mayorkas attempting to blame Abbott for the chaos happening there saying in a statement to a local newspaper, quote, when we work with DPS in coordination with DPS, they are of tremendous assistance to us. When state officials work unilaterally and do not coordinate and collaborate with us, can actually wreak havoc. Mayorkas traveled to the southern border where he met with border patrol agents yesterday. And his visit comes as Governor Abbott continues to relocate scores of migrants to New York City and Washington, D.C., in protest of Biden's border policies. join us now to discuss is former ICE acting director and former chief of Border Patrol, Ron Vitello. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Majorca's critical comments, just him deflecting the blame here.
4: It's good to be on with you, John. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Who started this problem and why is it so bad? And think about it. Who's doing more? Outside of the federal government, and there, you know, obviously there's a lot of work to be done. But Greg Abbott is building barrier. He's assigning uh, Department of Public Safety officers to help the Border Patrol. The National Guard is deployed on behalf of this effort. Uh, Greg Abbott's doing more than anybody else outside of the federal government, outside of my former colleagues in DHS, ICE, and Border Patrol. So Mayorkas, like, what's he asking for? This chaos has been produced. By this administration and he's been there the whole time
2: two things that stick out to me i don't know if you see the the tape we're rolling there but to me it looks kind of like a photo op he's kind of like walking along with the golf shirt on looking around um you worked with these guys in the green uniforms there what do you think's on their mind while they know they're being set up here in a uh, photo op
4: well they're disappointed right they know for a fact that the problems that we're having on the border right now are self-inflicted. This administration, that secretary have made choices about how to elaborate, how to execute the border security mission. And every chance that he's gotten to make a statement about an immigration system that has integrity about securing the border, they've went in the opposite direction. They ended the migrant protection protocols. They ended the asylum accords with the Northern Triangle. Uh, they wanted to eliminate Title 42. Even after the court told them to put the migrant protection protocols, the Remain in Mexico program, back into effect, they wound it down. That's why, because they want—they obviously want an open border. And those agents out there, they know dang well that this administration has caused the worst surge on the U.S.-Mexico border that has existed in the history of that border. And that secretary ran, went along for the ride, whether he's making decisions or not, He's there. He's responsible. And and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the worst surge ever. And and he's out there pretending it doesn't exist. He's right. making public statements that the border's secure. And those agents know different.
2: Uh, Governor Abbott, he's taken a lot of incoming but standing strong. But now he's receiving new criticism from a member of the uh, New York City progressive delegation. I call him the swagger man, Mayor Eric Adams. He's got no plan Um, But he's crying the blues that five more buses of migrants came from Texas to the Big Apple this week. Um, Manuel Castro posted on Twitter, quote, We know that Governor Abbott has been trying to dehumanize people to foment anti-immigrant hatred. And while New York will continue to welcome asylum seekers, it's our moral responsibility to denounce this kind of behavior by Governor Abbott. Uh I don't know what they're denouncing. They support these policies. They're progressive mayors. They're sanctuary cities. When your boy showed up, then a guy on a retainer who committed a crime who was here illegally. They don't even turn him over. They welcome them here. They want them here. What do you have to say to Eric Adams and him taking, you know, the governor of Texas to task?
4: Well, he's a failed leader because he has an opportunity to expose what's going on, right? The root cause of this problem, you know, they want to talk about the root cause. The root cause of this problem are the policies of this administration, tearing down what existed when they inherited 40-year lows of activity on the border. And then I can't imagine the city that doesn't sleep gets a few thousand migrants who voluntarily elect to go to New York after being released by U.S. government authorities. And that seems to be a problem that the mayor that that runs the city of New York, can't handle? It's disingenuous. If he wants to figure out how to fix this problem, he needs to go to the White House and stop complaining about the governor who is doing what exactly? He's taking people who are released by the U.S. government who were voluntarily asked to go on a bus to New York City. How is that Governor Abbott's fault?
2: <laughs> I think it's one of the uh, more clever political tricks I've seen in quite a long time. But uh... Ron Vitello, thank you so much for filling us in tonight. Really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Good to be on with you. Thank you. Coming up, growing outrage over progressive crime policies that many conservatives say has led to a rise in violence and anti-police sentiments across the nation. We'll talk to the wife of slain St. Louis Police Captain David Dorn about what it will take to stop the lawlessness when Greg Kelly Reports returns. The wife of slain black St. Louis police captain David Dorn is slamming the Black Lives Matter movement and some progressive activists, including Vice President Kamala Harris, calling them super villains in a new op ed. Her comments come as outrage grows over progressive crime policies that many conservatives say has led to a rise in violence and anti police sentiment across the nation. Joining us now to discuss is Ann Dorn, the wife of slain St. Lewis Police Captain David Dorn. Uh, Mrs. Dorn, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate you coming on with us and, and speaking out about this. But uh, tell us about your recent comments. And uh, what do you think it will take to stop this anti-police rhetoric?
6: Well, thank you for having me, John. Um, it's it's outrage. You know, uh, George Soros has funded. Many of our prosecutors out there who are releasing hardcore criminals and not even not, not even charges, but are putting right back on the streets. And it's victimizing the families more. It's victimizing our communities more. The mayors, a lot of these liberal mayors are supporting them. Kamala Harris was supporting the rioters during 2020 and 2021, including Maxine Waters. They were both encouraging riots. And, um, you know, when you're encouraging these riots, it, you should be in charge with inciting a riot. Um, how can we have law and order in our communities when you have the vice president of the United States and um, other politicians promoting it and even paying for bail funds out there in our communities? So, you know, our communities are suffering. St. Louis City itself had 13 murders this past weekend, which superseded um, Chicago's violent weekend that they had per capita. And um, it's just uncalled for. We have children dying on the streets. Black Lives Matter is doing nothing about that. You know not. it'll only if it fits their agenda are yeah. they ever protesting they're they're taking all this money and they're buying mansions out of it, and here our black communities are suffering That's right. and our black children are being killed every day.
2: Oh, look, uh, I'm the son of a cop. I'm proud of it. And my heart goes out to to you and your family for your loss and hope things could change. But many big corporations have actually come out and got scared by the wokesters uh, and voiced their support for initiatives like Black Lives Matter. This going back to the summer of 2020. Take a listen to this.
4: Companies like ours must speak up as allies to the Black Lives Matter movement. It's a critical time for our country. It's a critical time, I think, for business to also be speaking out, speaking up about these issues. I want to address the topic of racism, inequality and injustice and to recognize the pain being felt throughout our nation, especially
2: in our black and brown communities after the senseless killing of George Floyd. Now, from what I hear, you're working with a group that is pushing back against some of these companies that have pumped millions into the Buy Large Mansions movement. Um, tell us about your recent efforts, please.
6: Yes, I'm working with Concerned Communities of America. And it's uh, Pastor Mark Little and Dequan and several other black clergy and business leaders. And, and they are the ones who want to help the black communities. Where these woke corporations are pumping money into Black Lives Matter. And again, it's not gone, not one penny has gone to help anyone in the Black communities. 55 businesses were lost in the city of St. Louis during the 2020 riots. Four policemen were shot. My husband was murdered. Um, In the following summer, 73 police officers were murdered and other countless businesses were destroyed across our country. It's, you know, we're calling out to these corporations to wake up. The money that you're giving them is not going to help anyone. It's not even going to help race relations within our country. My husband stood up for the black community for many years. He is a black man. He was a black man. And um, his life apparently didn't matter.
2: Yeah, black well, lives matter. It, it sure seems that if anyone uh, black life should matter, it's someone like your husband who put his life on the line for his community. But uh, on that note, June you mark two years since your husband's passing Um, tell us a little bit about your husband that people should know.
6: David was such a giving man. Um, everybody that met him loved him.
2: We would go, we travel
6: all over the world and we'd go back to countries we hadn't visited in two years and they would remember him. That's how memorable of a person he was. He had a smile that was contagious and, um, he would give the shirt off his back to anybody, anyone um, anyone who was on the street asking for help, he'd give them a, a few dollars. He'd buy them food. Um, even the protesters that night um, that were causing the riots, he even offered to help them.
2: hes He, he sounds like a remarkable man. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it's very hard to come on and talk about it. A lot of people in this country right now are kind of so scared they don't know what to do about it. And it is great. And it's uplifting to me even to know you're out there, um, not just internalizing this stuff, but trying to do something to make a difference and make people aware that we can't have uh, American companies funding these people who don't care about black lives at all, as it seems.
6: No, they can't. And if anybody wants more information, they can go to ConcernCommunitiesOfAmerica.org and uh, sign the pledge or sign our petition to get these these vote corporations, athletes, and celebrities to sign our pledge to give back to communities and to the first responders out there that they've called to defund and and to kill. They've actually called for their death.
2: And Dorn, uh, God bless you and the Dorn family. I want to thank you very much for joining us tonight.
6: Thank you, John, for the opportunity.
2: All right. Coming up, the fall of Roe v. Wade will likely shape the midterm elections how Democrats will do just about anything to use that to their advantage. Oh, for these Democrats, the Roe v. Wade ruling is seen as a golden ticket to winning elections. Since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade back in June, Democrats have spent nearly eight times as much on abortion-related ads, as Republicans have, with many crediting the decision as one that has radically reshaped the 2022 landscape in their favor. Survey shows that uh, more Democrats than Republicans say they're more likely to vote in the midterm elections after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Democrats are definitely hoping that'll be the case, and the media can't stop talking about it. Watch. Watch. If this, this can turn out younger voters
3: at presidential levels in a midterm, then you're looking at a more level playing field than we expected going into these midterms. I think this election has turned on a dime. It's going to be a very different cycle than what we have seen in the past. I think there are a lot of Democrats that are hoping that this uh, decision
6: uh, can light a fire under their base. We've heard uh, Democrats put it plainly uh, that uh, abortion is on the ballot.
2: Joining us now to break it down, managing editor of Newsbusters, Curtis Hawk, is with us. Uh, welcome, Curtis. How are you? Good to be with you, John. How are you? All right. Break this down for us. Do you really think the Roe v. Wade ruling will turn out more Democrats than Republicans? Will we see this in the upcoming midterm elections, or is this primary thing uh, really what's causing this?
7: Yeah, I think it's definitely some of the latter and it's also the last gasp for the left to try and get their base to turn back out and not come off as demoralized and choose not to show up to vote. I mean, special elections themselves as they are are really weird. And, you know, special elections especially in the house, I mean, if people forget there's 435 house seats. So every district is different. So the notion that, you know, Pat Ryan won in New York doesn't mean it's going to translate to a swing district in Florida or one in Pennsylvania even, next door. <laughs> Every district's different. All the candidates are different. So I think everybody's just got to cool down uh, and remember that, yes, people are going to think back to the last two years with inflation in schools and uh, gas prices when they decide to vote in Afghanistan.
2: Yeah. What they don't realize is, special election for a seat that's disappearing in five months um that no one really cared about and win or lose both guys were going to be running again in november so it's not an awe-inspiring race and and uh, me personally i think Molinero didn't do all he could to appeal to the trump base and people were kind of not motivated and uh, ryan motivated a little sliver more but they have like a two million registration advantage to democrats there so to me it's much to do about nothing but i want to turn to a topic that maybe uh democrats and republicans might actually be on the same page about we're seeing many democrats and the mainstream media speak about biden's loan forgiveness decision take a look at this it's worth pointing out
4: incidentally in 2021 both joe biden and nancy pelosi said that the president didn't have the unilateral power to forgive student loans. So, you know, there, there's a there's a big jump from that to what the president ended up doing yesterday. And as a
2: result, you're going to definitely see court challenges to this sooner rather than later. And then, uh, you know, it's it, when even CNN, and I mean, there's a shakeup over there, so you, you never know what's happening. But uh, when even they're bashing Biden, I guess he kind of fumbled this one pretty bad.
7: Yeah, I mean, I think also it's a unique issue in that there's more than two sides to a story. I mean, I think in a lot of cases it's, you know, Democrats think one thing, Republicans think one thing, and the media obviously going with the Democrats. With this issue, you have the White House, who is very happy, and their supporters, their lemmings. You have progressives who wish it didn't go far enough, and then you have uh, Democrats who think that they're not happy about right. it. probably are happy and then they've got republicans nobody's who are universally unhappy. So <laughs> nobody's it's to happy. it. <laughs> all
2: right. Well, you know what? I'm happy it's Friday. I hope you have a great weekend and uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Curtis Hawk. Thanks, John. Got it. All right, in the midst of all this raid stuff, Trump supporters are showing more love than ever. And two attorneys from Staten Island stand out. We'll show you why next.
5: If you've had it with the old news and the same spent, well, then Spicer and Company is your place for the
1: inside story
5: and for the facts that you need to know. All
2: right. Welcome back. One of the things I'm proudest of is being a Staten Island New Yorker. And I'm really proud of my community because they love Trump. And in the middle of all this chaos and madness, you wouldn't believe in New York there's Trump lovers, um, but there are unwavering Steadfast ones out there. One of the attorneys we had on earlier, Lou Gelamino and his partner, Mark Fonte, have now tried to show that to Donald Trump by reaching out and telling him Staten Island loves him. And they're asking him to put his presidential library here to show him how much Staten Island loves him in a letter sent to Trump. Um, The attorney said the admiration and Love Islanders have for you is unwavering and steadfast. You could drive down any street and see a Trump flag flying side by side with our old, glorious stars and stripes. The attorneys go on and say we're writing to you to request that you seriously entertain the concept of utilizing this magnificent setting for your presidential library. There is a beautiful spot out there, Donnie, and it was one of your father's favorite things Thank you all for tuning in tonight. You can catch my show, Wise Guys with John Tobacco, right here on Newsmax tomorrow night at 10. Till then, you have a great weekend. We'll see you here from Greg Kelly Report.